Welcome to the Rockcast. I am your host, Monty Colvin. Who the hell is this guy? Has anybody ever heard of him? No. So glad you could join me and prepare yourself to be entertained. Somebody told me the other day that my show is, quote, random. And you know, that's probably true once in a while. But today, uh, it's definitely going to be random. So if you start to get bored at something I'm talking about, have no fear. Because chances are I will be moving on quickly to something else that maybe you won't be bored with. I doubt it. But let's get things started with a question from Corey Gilmore on Facebook who says, Hey, Monty, how are you? Whoa! Well, thanks for asking, Corey. And, you know, I get that question a lot. And it always surprises me that people actually care. But I think the reason why they actually wonder how I'm doing is because they know that back in 2020, my life pretty much hit rock bottom. You had the start of all the COVID stuff, and then the lockdowns, and then everything got canceled. No concerts, no ball games, no vacations. Everyone was just expected to stay in their houses and not leave. And that was all bad, but then I ended up going through a heartbreaking divorce, and I thought my life was over. But the truth is, and the good news, is that my life wasn't over, it was just beginning. In 2021, I met somebody new, I became a full-time artist, and I moved to Colorado, where I am very happy now. And over the last several months, I've talked to other guys who are going through breakups and really hard times. And I always tell them to hang in there because things will get better. It may not seem like it now, but, uh, you know, don't do anything stupid. Because one of these days, you're going to look back and say, wow, my life is so much better now. But all that to say, I'm doing well. Uh, Last year ended on a good note for me. Since my last podcast episode, I celebrated Christmas and New Year's with my girlfriend, Alex. And we just had a really good time. We just mostly stayed around home. I didn't have to go anywhere. Uh, Nobody got drunk. Nobody forced me to play a board game. And I only had to take a few pictures with Alex wearing matching striped pajamas. Oh my God. But I did not complain about the pajamas and I was rewarded Christmas morning when Alex gave me tickets to the Chiefs Broncos game in Denver. And if you know anything about me, you'll know that that's one of the best gifts you can ever give me. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But first, uh, we had to get through New Year's. And I don't know how New Year's Eve is for you guys now, but these days for me, it is no big deal. I feel no need to go to a party or a club, and I don't even need to see a big giant ball drop. All I need is a little spinach and artichoke dip and some chips, and I will be good to go until about 11.30 where I will fall to sleep. And that's exactly what happened. 
And I was perfectly fine with that. But like I said, Alex had gotten us tickets to the Broncos Chiefs game that was about a week later. And I'd never been to Mile High Stadium before and I knew that was going to be cool. But the game was also in January in Denver and I knew that was going to be really cold. And so before the game, we got all bundled up and at the last minute I said, you know what, Alex, I'm going to wear my Chiefs winter coat. And I told her there's a story behind that jacket and it goes like this. Back in the 90s, I'm going to say it was around 96, Galactic Cowboys got a tour opening for Anthrax in Europe. And it was in the winter, and I was living in Houston at the time, so I didn't have any kind of winter clothes. I wore shorts every day, so I didn't have a winter coat. So I went to a mall, and lo and behold, they had a Chiefs parka. And it was great big, and it made me look like the Pillsbury Doughboy or something. But I bought it, and I took it to Europe with me. And every time I wore it, our singer Ben would go, Ah, the big giant Chiefs parka. And it became kind of a running joke, but I never got rid of it. And when I moved to Kansas City, I wore it all the time. And I still have that thing to this very day, over 25 years later. And so I wore that and my Patrick Mahomes jersey to the Broncos game. And I got to tell you, we just had a blast. One of the best days I've ever had in my life. Yes, it was freaking cold out there, but uh, the Chiefs won. And it was just a great Christmas present from Alex. And I got to say, if you're a big sports fan like I am, having a girlfriend who also likes sports is awesome. Isn't that just precious? Something else I did not too long ago was I went on the Talking Into Infinity podcast with John Drake. It's a video podcast about dream theater, and John asked me to come on and be a guest and share some stories about the time Galactic Cowboys opened for dream theater on the Images and Words tour back around 93. And I had a great time doing it. John is a super good guy. And I appreciated him having me on there because uh, it was a lot of fun. And if you'd like to check that out, the best way I know of is to go to the Classic Metal Show website. And you can find that at cmspn.com. That's cmspn.com. And there you will find all kinds of different rock and roll and metal podcasts. And just look up Talking Into Infinity and you will find that episode I did. And I know a few of you have already seen it because the night we did it, uh, Gary in Baltimore and Matt in St. Louis both chimed in. And I appreciated that, guys. And I also heard from Dean Bibb who says he was watching and he had a question for me. He said, hey, Monty, I enjoyed your interview on Talking to Infinity. And you mentioned Kevin Moore, who was Dream Theater's keyboardist at the time. And I was wondering what you thought of his ongoing project, OSI. Well, thanks for the question, Dean. You know, I had almost forgotten about that. I knew at one point I had the CD, but I hadn't heard it in years. So I went looking through my iTunes collection, and there it was. Now, this is from 2009. The CD was called Blood. And I listened to the whole thing again, and I thought, well, geez, why have I not been listening to this all along? It's not really what you would expect from somebody in Dream Theater, all proggy and everything, but I thought it was cool. 
Kevin Moore is a good guy. He was kind of quiet when we were on tour with him, but obviously super talented, and I love this song. Here lately, I've been having a really hard time sleeping at night. And even when I do manage to sleep, I always have these really weird dreams. And my dreams are almost always the same. I'm always somewhere getting ready to go on stage and I'll pick up my bass and realize, wait, I can't figure out how to tune this thing. Or one night it was, uh, oh no, it doesn't have any strings on it. And the crowd is waiting and I'm just freaking out. And I've also had those dreams where I'm playing with another band, like Guns N' Roses or Anthrax, and I suddenly realize, wait a minute, I don't know any of these songs. And I'm trying to figure out the notes, but I have no clue what I'm doing. And everyone's looking at me like, what is your problem, dude? And that would be bad enough, but some dreams I can't even find my way to the stage. Like this one dream, I know I'm supposed to be playing in about five minutes, but I'm completely lost. And I'm walking through this building, and I finally go outside and find out I'm at a water park. So naturally, I just go down the slip and slide. 
And when I wake up, I have no idea what that was all about, but I do know that in all of my dreams, I'm extremely frustrated. So I don't know, maybe it's the melatonin that's given me these weird dreams, or maybe I'm not taking enough melatonin. Because the other day I woke up about 3 a.m. and I just laid there and laid there. And I finally turned on the TV and I just ended up watching a movie that Eric in Orange County had uh, emailed me about and suggested. It was on Tubi and it was called Roadie, My Documentary. And if you're thinking, oh, this must be about roadies, uh, well, you'd be correct. It was made by a guy that used to be a roadie for all kinds of bands, and uh, he did a lot of interviews with roadies and guitar techs. And if that doesn't really sound that exciting, well, once again, you would be correct. Boring! Now, it's not that I didn't like this documentary. It was alright. I've known a lot of roadies, and I've had my own guitar techs over the years. And so I didn't really learn much that I didn't already know about roadies. But if you've never been on tour, this might interest you. It's not a very glamorous job. They work very hard moving gear, loading trucks, solving technical problems. And I certainly appreciated those guys when we were on tour. Mainly because in the early days when you're struggling in clubs to get signed or whatever, uh, you're your own roadie. And when you get to the point where you're on tour and all you have to do is walk up and have a guy hand you your instrument and uh, everything's set up, uh, that is like being in heaven. And usually when you're on a tour, you'll have several roadies. And ideally, each guy in the band will have his own tech. But when we did that tour with Anthrax over in Europe, uh, we didn't take anybody except a sound man slash road manager. But when we got over there, we were told by our label that they were going to provide us with one guy. And I know we were all kind of skeptical, like one guy is going to be our roadie. But this dude from England named Bob showed up for the first show in Sweden. And I mean to tell you, for that entire tour, Bob did everything. He would set up the drums, he would tune the guitars, he would change our strings. And if I ever tried to help him, like, uh, hey, let me get that for you, Bob, he would just act annoyed and go, would you please let me do my job? And I just go, uh, yeah, no problem, man. But Bob the Roadie was so amazing that uh, when we got back to the States and did another tour, we were like, uh, can we just fly Bob over here? And so that's what we did. We had Bob the one-man wrecking crew. He was incredible. But anyway, back to this movie about the roadies. Uh, I ended up watching the whole thing. And as is the case with every musical documentary, at some point, you know, somebody's going to say, and then I got addicted to drugs and alcohol. And I almost didn't survive. And it's amazing to me that that's so often the case with musicians and apparently the roadies. But I just never did any of that. I was out there to play and do my job, which was be a musician. And for me, that was enough. I didn't even have sex with any groupies. What? I know there were people who probably thought that I did, but I didn't. I was married at the time, and I probably flirted more than I should have. But sex with a groupie? No, I was pretty boring. I mean, not that we really had that many female fans at all. 
It was mostly guys who were watching our fingers as we played. And to be honest, being on the road in the 90s was pretty boring, period. At least it was for me. Even though it sounds like it'd be really cool to be on a tour bus and go from city to city, I got tired of hanging out on tour buses and uh, spending time in dingy, smelly clubs. I enjoyed making fans and meeting people, and I enjoyed the shows, obviously. But do I miss being on the road all the time? Not really. I do miss playing once in a while, probably why I'm having those dreams all the time. But I've never been a guy who was into the whole rock and roll party lifestyle. And these days, I'm pretty content just being at home and doing my art. Which, by the way, if you haven't been to my website, monicalvinart.com lately, you might want to check it out. I not only have all kinds of rock and roll paintings on there, I now have a whole bunch of prints of my paintings, and uh, they're a lot cheaper than the paintings. Either way, they're very cool. I'll sign them for you. I'll put a personalized note in there for you. And they look really cool in a den, in a studio, or a game room. Or if you have a friend or a relative or know somebody that's a musician or just loves rock and roll, they make great gifts. Commercial's over. Moving on to some other movies that I watched recently, I saw a documentary on Netflix about Clive Davis. He, of course, is the renowned music industry mogul. He started out as a lawyer and somehow ended up the president of Columbia and Arista Records. And pretty much throughout the duration of this movie, they made him out to be a complete genius. But as you might expect, I had a little different take. Yes, he discovered Aerosmith, Whitney Houston, Janis Joplin, and Bruce Springsteen. Wow! However, he also gave us Dionne Warwick, Kenny G, Ace of Bass, and Millie Vanilli. And for that, I say, thanks a lot, Clive. Rot in hell. I get it that he had an incredible ear and eye for hit artists and hit songs. But when you think about it, is that really such a good thing? I personally hated most of those hit songs that were in the 80s and 90s that were continually pushed down our throats. Oh, how I wish I could go back in time and rid myself and cleanse my ears of I saw the sign or I want to dance with somebody. Kill me! So did I enjoy the documentary about Clive Davis? Well, no, not really. Instead, it just reminded me why I hate the whole industry machine. How mediocre pop tunes are pushed in our face like it's some kind of high art. And more than anything, this film just made me remember how much I despise Hollywood and all of its pompous, leftist douchery. And let me give you an example as to what I'm talking about. Around a year ago, the legendary Cher recorded a song right around the time when Joe Biden had just gotten elected. And there was a video for it where she was singing and they were showing all kinds of clips of Joe Biden. And well, let me just play you a little bit of that song. It seems like happiness is just a thing called Joe. He's got a smile that makes the lilacs 
song and video is completely nauseating to me, but it does make me remember all the people that thought Biden was the answer for everything. If they could just get rid of evil orange man, everything would be better. Well, to those people, I have just one thing to say. Are you happy now? I mean, maybe you are. Perhaps you wanted higher gas prices and open borders and possibly a war with Russia. Or maybe you're just one of those people who enjoys having an old senile guy tell you every single day that you need to get vaccinated or you're going to lose your job. Then again, maybe I'm just a fool that doesn't see all the great things that Joe has done for us in the past year. Perhaps I should learn how to appreciate Joe, just like Cher and all of the Hollywood elites who worked so hard to get him elected. Come on! is just a thing called Joe President Joe President Joe President Joe Alright, now going from one extreme to the other which in this case is going from Cher to what I think is an amazing piece of musical art, I would now like to tell you about a new CD from Kerry Livgren. He being the musical genius from the band Kansas, the guy who wrote uh, Carry On Wayward Son, Dust in the Wind, and so forth, and a guy that I like to call my friend. And I know I've told this story before, but I will once again tell it because I think it's really cool. But for me, this all began back when I was in high school. I was a big fan of Kansas, had a bunch of their albums. And I went to see them on the Point of No Return tour around 78. And that night when I saw Kerry Livgren playing keyboards and he picked up the guitar and played all those solos, I was just blown away and became a huge Kerry Livgren fan. And for years, I was just like, if I could just write songs like that guy. Well, for the next 12 years, I worked at trying to become a musician and a songwriter. Well, in 1990, my band got signed to Geffen Records. I got to make albums. I got to tour. 
Now, we never achieved a great amount of success, but still, I got to live the dream for a while. But around 2000, we finally called it quits. And when I thought back on it all, it just seemed like I've got all these CDs, but really outside of that, uh, nothing really to show for it. My wife and I at the time were going bankrupt. And as far as I was concerned, I had worked all those years for nothing. Nobody cared. But strangely enough, right around the same time, I saw that Carrie Livgren was doing a solo thing just a few blocks from where I lived in Kansas City. So I decided, hey, I'm gonna go, and who knows, maybe I could actually meet him. So I went, and afterwards, he was signing autographs for a bunch of people, and I just kinda got in line. And when I finally got up to him, I just said, hey, Carrie, I'm Monty, I used to play in this band called Galactic Cowboys. And he looked up at me and he said, hey, I love you guys. And I was just blown away, but I'm kind of shy in situations like that. And so I just thanked him and walked away. And as I was walking off, he says, hey, Monty. And at first I thought he was going to say, how you doing? But instead he said, uh, would you ever consider being on one of my albums? And I was just blown away even more. And to make a long story short, he ended up inviting me to his studio in Topeka, Kansas. And when I get there, he explains that I will be singing a part on a project that he's working on that is based on a story in the Bible about the resurrection of Lazarus. And I was like, cool, tell me what to sing and I will sing it. So he takes me and he's setting up my mic and uh, as he's doing it, he says, uh, hey, I got a question. And I said, okay. And he says, uh, that phone conversation that's on the end of the song, Where Are You Now, on Space In Your Face, uh, was that real? And it was at that very moment that I realized that this guy, who I had idolized all these years, he really did know stuff about songs that I had written. Everything I've ever been through, through all these years of trying to be a musician and, uh, you know, write songs, it was all worth it for that. And it took me back to those times when I was that teenage kid sitting in my bedroom, struggling to learn how to play guitar and thinking, man, if I could just be one of those guys. And suddenly it didn't matter if I was broke or that I'd been dropped by Geffen or that Nirvana had ruined my career. I would always have that validation from Carrie Livgren. And that night we went out to dinner and Carrie told me some cool stories about Kansas back in the day. And I drove home and then for the next 20 years I would wait for that album to come out. And there were times when I thought, you know, it may just never come out. But a couple of months ago I got a message from Carrie and he said, hey Monty, uh, I got the CD, I want to send it to you. And I get it, and I open up the jewel case, and there's my name in the credits between Steve Walsh and Robbie Steinhardt. And once again, I think, you know, there you go. It was all worth it right there. And I listen to it, and all I can say is this is an absolute masterwork by a musical genius. Now, the thing I will have to explain is this is not a rock album. It's not even a typical album. So there aren't really songs per se, it's a cantata that is done in musical movements. And so what I'm saying is don't think you're going to get it and hear a Kansas album. However, it's absolutely brilliant, uh, it's incredibly beautiful, 
and I can just tell it was a labor of love by one of the great musicians of my lifetime. Now this album is just something that you're going to have to sit down with and listen to it and absorb it. So please check it out. It's called The Resurrection of Lazarus, a cantata by Carrie Livgren. And if you're interested, I come in at the 13 minute mark of uh, movement three. And I also have another singing part at two and a half minutes around there in movement four. But anyway, such a great honor and privilege to be a part of that, and uh, I just can't thank Carrie enough. Continuing on now with more randomness, and I think I'll answer a question now from Sabrina Nelson on Facebook. And Sabrina says, Hey, Monty, are you a meatloaf fan? The singer, not the food. Well, thanks for the question, Sabrina. Yes, a few thoughts on meatloaf. Delicious! Well, first of all, very sad to hear that he passed away. It seems like a lot of people are uh, dying here lately, but I'll get to more of that later. But as far as meatloaf as a singer, well, I'll be honest, I never bought any of his albums. But I did think he was a talented singer and had a great voice. And I'll never forget the first time I ever saw him. It was on Saturday Night Live. And he was really intense. And at the end of the song, he just stood there and looked into the camera like he was ready to kill somebody. Or he was a mental patient or something like that. And obviously, that really got my attention and left an impression on me. And I never forgot it. So obviously, he was a great performer. And I also respected the fact that early in his career, he said, I'm not opening for anybody. I'm only going to headline. And I heard the reason that he did that was because he opened a show for Cheap Trick and got booed off the stage. And from then on, he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I can understand that because I think everybody that has ever opened for another band at some point has gotten booed off the stage. I remember back in the 70s, uh, I was listening to the radio and this DJ went, yeah, I went to see the Kinks last night and the opening band was Cheap Trick and they got booed off the stage. And in the 80s, I went to see the police and the opening act was Joan Jett and she was getting booed that night. And then about two weeks later, I went to see Joan Jett who was headlining and people were booing the producers who were the opening act for her. And then a couple of months later, I went to see the producer's headline somewhere, and everybody was cheering. And of course, when I was in Galactic, we got thrown at and booed and uh, flipped off when we were opening for Overkill. 
And so really what I'm saying is, uh, you know, people can be real assholes. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. So I don't blame Meatloaf, uh, the singer. But how about the food Meatloaf? Well, I go way back with Meatloaf. My mom used to make that and I hated it. Maybe it was the name, I don't know, but uh, it just sounded gross to me. And I didn't like the taste much better. And so for years, when people asked me, do you like meatloaf, it was a solid no. But then around 2000, I was recording my first Crunchy album. And my friend Jeff Sheets was producing it, and I was over at his house. And his wife Jackie made dinner, and she asked me if I'd like to stay. And so I said, well, sure. And we sit down, and it's meatloaf, the food. And I thought, oh no, but you know me, I don't want to be rude to anybody, so I just started eating it. And to this day, I have no idea what she put in that thing or what she did to it, but that meatloaf was amazing. And since then, I have not feared the meatloaf. In fact, if you want to do something that will make a meatloaf actually really good, take some mozzarella sticks and just stick them right in the middle and then heat it up and bake it or whatever and uh, it's great. And this has been another installment of Monty's Cooking Corner. Well, like I said, we've been losing a lot of celebrities here lately besides Meatloaf. Just recently, we had Bob Saget and Louis Anderson die. And of course, Norm MacDonald. And I love Norm MacDonald. I thought his stand-up was funny and uh, he was great on Saturday Night Live years ago. And I always think, why is it always the funniest guys that pass away? We lose John Belushi and Chris Farley and Phil Hartman. And yet Pete Davidson, still with us. It's just not fair. Another person who died that I was sad to hear about was John Madden. I never played the Madden video game, so it wasn't that. I just always liked him as a color commentator. And it wasn't that his comments were always genius. He'd say stuff like, uh, now what you got here is two teams, and uh, you know the team that scores the most points is gonna win. No duh. But the thing is, is he made the game fun, and he was likable. Now compare that today with Chris Collinsworth. Oh my God, how many times have I screamed at my TV for him to shut the hell up? Or how about now on ESPN, they have female announcers who never played the game who are explaining the game of basketball to me. And when that happens, I literally turn the game off or watch it without the sound on. You're a sexist. But possibly the worst is Joe Buck. Can anyone explain to me why he is the announcer for every sport, every game, everything that's on? When I've never met a person alive who has said they actually like Joe Buck. Everyone I know hates his smarmy, conceited ass. And yet he's always on my TV. He sucks! Now an announcer I actually do like is a guy named Chris Rose. He does football, baseball, and he also does one of my favorite TV shows, BattleBots. What the hell is that? Now, if you haven't seen this, check it out. I think it's on Discovery Channel. It's where these technical brainiacs build these little robot cars, and they put them inside this big giant cage, and they try to destroy each other. 
Like some of them have these big blades on them and uh, some of them shoot fire. And some of the destruction is just really violent and it's just a hoot. But the best thing and the funniest part of this show for me is that it's an absolute geek fest. From the people making the robots to the fans in the stands who are cheering for the robots, these are some of the biggest nerds you've ever seen in your life. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, I bet 95% of the people involved with the making of BattleBots are also major fans of Star Wars, Dream Theater, and King's X. Oh, nerds! Now, I do not consider myself a nerd because I don't like Star Wars, never have, and I do not play video games. And there's two reasons why I don't play video games. One is because I suck at video games. I used to try playing Mario Kart with my 10-year-old daughter at the time, and she would beat my ass every time. But the main reason why I don't play video games as an adult is that I never had video games as a child. And it's not because my parents wouldn't let me play as a child. It's because there were no video games. They did not exist. And neither did cell phones or home computers. And thank God, because you know what I did instead? I learned how to play guitar and made art. And now when people ask me, hey, how'd you get so good at painting? Well, it's because I started when I was about 10. And when I got a little older, I started writing songs. And it was all about creating and creating something new. And I had heroes that I wanted to emulate. And I'd save up my money and I'd buy an album and I'd bring it home and I'd open it up and read the lyrics. And I'd look at the picture of the band and I'd want to look like them. And the reason I looked up to those guys is because back then, you knew if a band had an album out, they had gone into a studio to record it. And also, that band was probably signed to a big label or they wouldn't have an album. But these days, anybody with a computer can make an album. Anybody can have a promo picture. And every musician who has a profile pic on Facebook holding a guitar is automatically a rock star. And unfortunately, it just doesn't seem that important anymore. When anyone can do something, then it doesn't seem as special. So I'm glad I didn't grow up with video games or computers. And I'm sure as hell glad that I don't waste my time playing video games now. I've got other things to waste my time on, like watching sports. Loser, you big loser. As I've said before, I'm a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. And when they beat the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs this year, it was the greatest game I'd ever seen. And it put them into the championship game against the Cincinnati Bengals. But I would have my heart broken once again. But you know, over the years, I've kind of gotten used to it. And let me explain now by going back to the beginning and giving you a history of my life as a sports fan. No, that's okay. It all began when I was about 10 years old. I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, and we didn't have a football team. This was the 70s, and so I just picked a cool team to root for, and that would be the Minnesota Vikings. Well, that very year, they played the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and the Vikings lost. It was my introduction to heartbreak and disappointment. However, I would continue rooting for the Vikings for many years after that, and I would watch them go to three more Super Bowls 
and lose every one of them. No! But midway through the 70s, my family moved us all to Missouri. So I said, hey, I'll become a Chiefs fan. Only problem was, the Chiefs sucked. But then in the 80s, I moved to Houston and became a Houston Oilers fan. They were really good. They had Warren Moon. And when they got to the playoffs and had a 30-point lead on the Buffalo Bills, I thought for sure they were going to win. But no, it was a total collapse and the biggest comeback by any team in NFL history. To make things worse, the Oilers ended up just leaving town and moving to Nashville. And once again, I had no team to root for, so I went back to rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. All through the 90s, I was a Chiefs fan. And even when they were seemingly the best team in football, they would lose every year in the playoffs. But then a few years ago, they drafted Patrick Mahomes and everything started to change. In just his second year, he took them to the championship game where they would lose to Tom Brady and the Patriots. <laughs> but they came back the next year and got into the Super Bowl amazingly and they even won and I could not believe it. I didn't know what to do with myself. And then they went back to the Super Bowl last year and I thought, can they do it again? Well, no. They got their asses handed to them by Tom Brady again. But when your team has Patrick Mahomes, you always think you have a chance. So this year was no different. And after a horrible start, they came back this year and made it back to the championship game. And when they went ahead 21-3 in the first half against the Bengals, I thought, we're going back again. But no, once again, defeat was snatched from the hands of victory. And I was left asking myself, what the hell just happened? But I knew what had happened. It was the same thing that's happened so many times in my life. I was left disappointed. And now when I sit back and think about it, it's really so stupid. It's just a game. Who really cares? But somehow I do. So I'm going to go ahead and watch the Super Bowl anyway. I'm going to probably root for the Rams. Why? Because I can't root for Cincinnati's arrogant, cigar-smoking douchebag quarterback. And if you're a Bengals fan, please don't be mad at me because I don't hate Joe Burrow nearly as much as I do Tony Romo. And I think anyone who has ever watched an NFL football game that Tony Romo has been doing the color commentating on, you know what I'm talking about. I don't care what team you're rooting for, he will ruin it for you because he will not shut up. He must think he's getting paid according to how many words he says. And I'd like to take him, Chris Collinsworth, and Stephen A. Smith, stick them in a room, and let them annoy each other to the death. Say what you want about him. The man knows what he's talking about. All right, enough of my rants. Before I go, I want to thank Eric Malmstrom and Scott Stevens for their very kind donations. It actually costs hundreds of dollars every year to keep this podcast going for the website and all that crap. So I really appreciate you guys helping me out. And to everyone who's bought paintings and prints, I really appreciate you also. And I'll try to give you a proper thank you in the future. I also wanted to remind you about my video art show on heavymetaltelevision.net, Art That Rocks. It runs every other Friday and you can see reruns on cmspn.com. It's a cool show. I think you'll like it. But for now, I'm going to take you out with a song by Volbeat. I'm going to go see them and Ghost in a couple of days, weather permitting. We've been having a lot of snow here in Colorado lately, 
But uh, I'm looking forward to a good show. And I know a lot of people don't like those bands for some reason, but I do. Ghost has that 70s Blue Oyster Cult vibe. And I just think Volbeat rocks in a mighty way. And I'm pretty sure they won't play this song when I see them because bands don't usually play my favorite songs that they do. Not sure why that is, but it's just kind of like why my favorite teams don't usually win. At any rate, hope this song crushes your skull, and I'll be back soon with more fun and mayhem. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care, don't let anyone tell you what to like, unless it's me. And rock on!
And that's it.